Right, Nat Nakasa, iconic in many ways as well, a journalist who sadly died abroad and after many, many years his uh, remains then brought to South Africa this week. So let's find out more about him, what in fact happened. We'll have two takes on it, Ryan Brown coming up later on, but for now Joe Tolway is with me, the director in the press council and uh, previously, as you know, the press ombudsman and extensive experience in the field of journalism. Joe, good chatting to you once again. Hi. Hi, good morning, sir. Good morning. It's it's been a while. So I I think it's a very important time to talk to you about uh, Nat Nakasa. So let's talk about this. Many people hearing the name in the last few days. I think there's been even an award named after him. But who, in fact, is he? Who was he? Nat Nakasa was a young journalist who won a a fellowship to go and study at Harvard for a year. And when he applied for the fellowship, um, the government refused him a, a, a passport to go to, to the United States. And instead, they gave him an exit permit, which said if he leaves the country, he isn't going to come back again. He went abroad, was there in 1964. In 1965, after the fellowship, he died in, um, in New York uh, after a drop from a building um, in New York. And he's been buried there for the last um, 50 years or so. So, so 50 years he's been buried. So let, let's rewind. He was, he was denied uh, the right to return, in fact, by the South African apartheid government all those years ago. Why, why so? Um, you remember the restrictions that were there at the time. You couldn't travel when you felt like traveling, even if you could afford it. Um, somebody in some office in Pretoria had to decide whether you could go or couldn't go. Um, but because of his uh, very antagonistic writings, antagonistic to the National Party and to apartheid, um, he was denied a, a, a passport to travel to go and study in the United States. So, so when he was given well, this, this exit permit, really speaking, effectively, he, he took it up. Did he, you obviously worked with him, right? Or, you know, amongst, amongst, at, at that time. Why did he take it up knowing, on the one hand, it would obviously be great for his career, but it mean, it meant also that he would never return to this country? Um, he agonized about it, um, before he actually accepted the exit permit. But then he was following in the footsteps of his other, I mean, his friend, uh, Louis Nkosi. Mm hmm who had also won a Neiman Fellowship in 1961, um, one of the first two South African um, uh, uh, Neiman Fellows. And he too was refused a, a, a passport, and he decided to go on an exit permit. We all know that um, um, uh, Louis Nkosi managed to come back to South Africa after liberation, but unfortunately, Nat couldn't. So there was still hope that this country will be liberated and they will be able to come back home. And your your thoughts then with regard to the significance of of the remains of, of Netnikasa, you know, now finally being returned to South Africa all these years, all these years uh, is it just a personal family thing or is it, or is it far bigger than that? Um, I didn't quite get the question. I, I was saying on the, on the one hand, from a family point of view, of course you'd like to have the remains Return to this country, but but is 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 the remains returning? Is it is it far bigger than simply a family domestic issue? Is it hugely symbolical? It it 
it's much bigger than just the family finding closure. Um, net represents what should never ever happen again in this country. He's a symbol of it. That we should never ever restrict people's freedom of expression, freedom of movement, freedom of association. That should never happen again. As, as Mandela said, um, we, we should not allow these things to happen in our country in our lifetime again. How, what are your thoughts about how he's been he's been celebrated? Not just this week, but uh, I made the point about an award being named after him, the Netna Council Award. Maybe you can tell us more about that and, and how his name has been kept in in the media space all these years. Um, we, we we have always uh, admired uh, uh, Netna Council. If you remember when um, when Matata said he was a name and fellow. He went, he opened um, uh, uh, Matt's file in the archives, read it, and then took a pilgrimage to go to uh, Matt's grave in New York. And when he came back, he was so inspired, he said to us, chaps, we must do something to remember Matt with, if we can't bring his body back. That is when the campaign for the return of his body started. But at that time, we then decided to start the Net Nakasa Award for Courageous Journalism, which um, is, is awarded every year. And this award, again, symbolizes the things that Net fought for, so that we have tried to keep his memory alive. And we are hoping that with his body now back in the country, um, more and more journalists will think about him, will write about him, will will try and emulate his courage, the courage to ask difficult questions when it's dangerous to do so. Would you say then, then finally, Joe, that, that uh, his exit permit and then passing away abroad, uh, and we'll talk about his life and his, and his, and his death as well, uh, not, uh, we'll talk to, to Ryan Brown about it in, in a minute or so, that it represents one of the great tragedies with regard to South African media. Again, I didn't quite get the question. I, I, I was saying, would you, would you, would you suggest that, would you say that that he's taking out the exit permit, then dying in, you know, dying abroad, and then being disconnected in many ways with this country over these years represents one of the great tragedies with regard to South African media. Oh, it's it's a huge tragedy. In fact, every every time I think about it, I get so angry that we South Africans could allow this to happen, that a young talent like Ned Nakasa could be destroyed in that fashion. There are mm. millions of people that we have destroyed in this fashion, and I get angry at the cost of what we have done. All right. Let's leave it at that. It, it's, a, it's certainly, I think, a particularly sad moment for many people, and, and I think a good point that you made there, Joe, uh, regarding the role of Matata Teru at that time all those years ago and for years trying to get uh, the remains of Netakasa back to this country. So, Joe Tolby, I appreciate your input. Joe is the director in the press council. Over 50 years' experience in printed broadcast journalism, clearly knew Netakasa pretty well and was the press ombudsman, uh, well, for a period of about six, seven years, I think, up to 2013. More on exactly who Netakasa really is, really was. Ryan Brown with me, author of a native of nowhere, the life of Natna Castle. Ryan, good chatting to you. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Good. Quick question. I'm going to ask you this live on the air. Do you have a Twitter handle? Because I'm trying to find you and I can't. 
I do. It's Ryan Lenora Brown. Okay, so, and then Lenora. Lenora. Lenora, so L-E-N-O-R-A. And then Brown, okay. Yeah. That's why mm-hmm. I struggled. Now we know, indeed. Thank <laughs> you. Right, so, so you, interestingly, have, you've written this book, A Native of Nowhere. What, why did you feel the need to write about him? Um, you know, I started studying South African history and South African journalism history in, in particular. And when, when you look at that subject, Nat's name comes up rather frequently, mm. um, but always in these very small mentions. It seems that all that is really widely remembered of his story is the incredibly tragic way that he died. Yeah. Um, which, he, which is how? I believe that... I feel I'm not going to ask Joe that. I'll ask you yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I believe that the most likely possibility is he committed suicide, that he was depressed, lonely, and far from home. I looked and looked, and I couldn't find good evidence um, that anything else was the case. Although I certainly understand the disbelief of many who knew him um, to accept that that could have been the way he died, because he was such um, a buoyant and upbeat personality throughout his life, I think. And people just had a very deep sense that it was apartheid that had killed him, that he couldn't have killed mm, himself, mm, that mm. this incredibly brutal system had killed him. And so I think that's translated for a lot of people um, into understanding his death not as a suicide, but as something else. Because, because there's also a danger now you know, that, that his legacy, to a large degree, uh, is, is written or, or viewed from a perspective of a South African who was in exile uh, and, and then died abroad, and therefore he's significant, meaning the work is less important. Is, is, is that way off the mark? No, I think that's true, and that's a lot of what brought me to the story, because I thought there must be more to this guy's life than mm. simply his death. There's more to all our lives than the way we die, um, obviously. And, you know, and I think there's a danger also if someone has just a, a sort of very small thing they're known for. You know, if someone is known like Nat is as a kind of martyr for South African journalism, um, it allows their legacy to be hollowed out and sort mm. of co-opted and used by whoever might want it. And that's a dangerous thing. We have to write the details in, into the history, people's um, personal um, tragedies and triumphs and, okay, and so, stories. So, so what have you uncovered in, in what I think now is your must-read book, <laughs> A Native of, of Nowhere, The Life of Nat Castle, which I think gains even bigger currency now in the light of his, of his remains uh, returning to South Africa? Yeah, well, um, there, there's many things, I think, that are fascinating about Nat's life. One is is that... Um, you know, this is a, a man who's always sort of been known as, um, you know, the man who understood the Rainbow Nation before there was a Rainbow Nation, mm, kind mm, of ahead mm. of his time when it came um, to issues of race. But really the thing was is, is he had grown up in a South Africa before apartheid, before National Party rule. Um, and the same is true of, of his whole generation, many mm. of whom are in, in power in South Africa today. And so he didn't have to imagine what South Africa would look like without apartheid. He had actually lived in the South Africa. However imperfect it was. However imperfect it was. And yes, as you say, very imperfect. But um, without the sort of rigidity around racial separation that would characterize later South Africa. And so I think that colors his whole life, which is very interesting. And then another um, thing about Nat um, that's always struck me um, is his ability to draw humor from what in many ways was a very humorless situation, being a black African Mm. living in apartheid South Africa. Um, But he had this very keen awareness of just how absurd of a system apartheid was, how completely illogical it was. So so examples of of the the humor that he saw in in the most absurd things? Um, Well, he he writes in one of his columns, he wrote a column for the Rand Daily Mail. He was their first black columnist um, about, um, at one stage he 
called up a train station and put on his very best white accent and said he would like a first class ticket. And they said, oh, of course, sir. Yes, you know, it'll be ready for you to come and collect. Mm. And then when he came to collect it <laughs> and they saw who he was, um, they said, no, 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 you can't have this. And he said, well, you know, on the, on the phone, when I sounded white, it was perfectly fine. And so he was always doing things like that to just sort of poke fun at the system and show mm. how absurd it was and, and kind of have a laugh at apartheid's expense. And I think he thought that was the way, you know, this system will die eventually. It's too absurd not to. And, and until it does... You know, we have to laugh about it. Okay, let us say this. If you wish to call in, maybe time for one or two very quick calls. 0891-104-207 is reflecting the life of Nat Nakasa, who is, uh, remains finally returning to South Africa this long period where it was in the USA, as you just heard. Uh, journalist got a position to study in the USA and was told by a part of South Africa, you go, you don't come back. Joe Tolbe made the point that, in fact, his writings were antagonistic. I mean, what can you tell us about that? Um... You know, I mean, I think to an extent, um, to be a black person living in apartheid South Africa was an antagonistic mm, um, position mm. to be in. You know, just to survive took daily acts of courage and daily acts of um, resisting the system. And I think it was no different for writers. It was more obvious with writers because they were sort of laying down their opposition to the system on the page. Um, but, you know, he just sort of refused to... Um, hew to what the government wanted him to write and wanted him not to write. Um, and that was very, very dangerous for him. We know that just before he went into exile, he was he came very, very close to being banned. Um, there's okay. in the back of his police file, the file the South African police were keeping on him. There's an unsigned banning order. Okay, so so, so it was coming. Yeah, yeah, so it was coming. Um, so it was definitely not without danger. Those those antagonisms. Well, for many, maybe it's a case of just as well that he then went went abroad. Right. How, how good a journalist was he? Um. He he was good. You know, he died at the age of 28. Yeah. So I think one of the great tragedies of his life is we never got to see how good he would have gotten. Of course. Yeah. And I think he would have, I mean, the difference between the way he wrote at age 20 and the way he wrote at age 28 is staggering. And so I think we would have seen him continue to become all the more prolific and, and impressive um, as a writer. But I think he's he's less important as the best writer South Africa has mm-hmm. ever had or, or the most important as just someone who laid down the history of apartheid as it was happening um, and told a very specific story at a time when it needed to be told. So mm. I think that's what he's important for more than and and, and the fact the that and the fact that he, in fact it, it um, uh, that that he's now his remains are, have been brought back to South Africa. Your your thoughts on on the significance? Of course, chatting to Joe Tolbert is one, but but people close to him and just family, friends, and the greatest South African public. Yeah, I mean, I think of course for the family, it's an incredibly significant. Um, Nat's sister Gladys, you know, has told me that. She never was able to properly mourn the death of her brother because he they, there was just never closure. They never could have a proper That's funeral so yeah. for him. Yeah, yeah. But then I think also bringing the body back represents um, not just bringing Nat back, but it represents these many people who died kind of quietly, far mm. from home, mm. in exile, um, and whose families were never able to mourn. So he's, he's symbolical of, of, of a completely lost generation. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And and a reminder of the the very individual and varied lives that that people lived out um, quietly, often you know, mm-hmm. um, without great recognition. Mm-hmm. And, and just just lastly, I mean, anything else you you want to bring up that you can share that you think we need to know? Um, look, I would say I'm extremely glad that that the body has come back and that the the government has taken that on as an initiative. Do you think that was important? Because some would say, come on. 
I think just celebrate him and you know. It has a, it, it has a lot of symbolism for a lot of people. So I think, and and for the family in particular, I think it's been very very important. But there's always a risk in these cases. Um, again, as I say, that if if we don't tell his full story and not just the story of his body being brought back in the tragic way he died, um, that the legacy will be hollow and will be able to be used by whoever wants it. And Nat Nakasa's legacy isn't owned by the ANC um, or the ruling government anymore than anyone else in this country. It's a story that belongs to South Africa. And so we have to make sure we're not just listening to the version that, you know, um, those in the government who have brought back the body are telling us, but that we're looking for the deeper story of his so, life. So, so finally, what more would you like to see happen besides all of South Africa rushing to get your book, which I can understand? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think just in, in a broader sense, it's a reminder of, of all these very individual and varied lives um, that people led under apartheid and, and just a reminder that there's no one story and you know yeah it would be great if people go out and read my book but you know I think people should be going out and, and talking to their grandparents uh, their parents you know reading reading biographies of various South Africans um, just a reminder that there's there's not one story not one narrative yeah, well put but I think get, get the book anyway I think great insight I, I mean I would South African of course I'm sure <laughs> you wouldn't Ryan great chatting to you most appreciate you giving thank up you your so time. much for having me it's a pleasure there you are Ryan Brown the author of a native of nowhere, which is exactly how he's been described, by the way, a native of nowhere, the life of Nat Nakasa, and in many ways reflecting the tragedy of this lost generation of South Africans all through the apartheid era.